Hey everyone, I'm John Steele, and this is After Four, a podcast for InterVarsity alumni. Life after college is hard, and even a great experience with your InterVarsity chapter doesn't shield you from the challenges of transition. As we hear stories from real alumni learning how to make it in their post-InterVarsity reality, my hope is that this podcast will offer some encouragement, a few laughs, and even some hope for the future. This is After Four, and these are your stories. Hello, alumni friends. It's that time of week again. Time to settle in with all your alumni besties for the podcast that's just for you. This is After Four, and I'm John Steele. Whether it's your first time joining or if you've been listening for a while now, I'm glad you're here. Hey, we've got a full conversation this week. Our guest is a real storyteller, so I just had to leave in a few extra minutes so you could get as close to the same experience as what I got talking with him. So let's jump right in. This week, we're chatting with Steve, a University of Rhode Island alumnus, and Steve is going to take us on a journey from high school senior recruiting for a club he knew nothing about to a totally blown out transition to life after college, from having it all and being miserable to shaving his head and finding true fulfillment. It's one story after another, and I think you're going to love it. I definitely did. So sit back and buckle up for an 18-year ride over the next 26 minutes. Here's Steve. Enjoy. Hey, Steve. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, John. It's great to be here. Man, long time coming. Yes, I'm so excited. It's been a few months of going back and forth, and finally, here we are. We're ready to roll. Yeah, we did it. I mean, we may as well just wrap it up. It's been fantastic. I've, I've had a great time. Nice meeting you. And uh... Why ruin a good thing? But... <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, Steve, I have a lot of questions that I want to ask you, but one of them is especially important to me. So you have to indulge me here. Your last name is Carol, right? Yes. Okay, Steve Carroll. So you and I graduated around the peak of office fame. Did you That's get right. a lot of Steve Carell jokes while you were in college, having such a similar name? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, certainly. I've gotten that. Well, I ask you that because I legitimately am afraid that I'm going to call you Michael at some point just because. (laughs) So please forgive me. Forgive me if that does happen. I mean, there is a long biblical history of people starting with one name and ending with another. That's true. Maybe tonight's your night. Jacob became Israel. Saul became Paul. You know what? Your name is now Mike. I'm going to call you Mike. And it's totally good. That's great. I'm sorry. It'll be someone far less important than Jesus giving you that name. So you, you can, I mean, I go from the first martyr to an archangel. It's not bad. That's true. Well, okay. Steve, obviously super happy to have you on the show tonight or today or whenever it is that people are listening. A little bit of origin story here. Where did you go to school? When did you graduate? Fill us in. So I went to University of Rhode Island. I graduated in 2010. So that puts me like firmly in the elder millennial camp or mid-millennial camp, which has been a ton of fun. I was a sociology major with a focus in African-American studies, and I did a bunch of creative writing in school. And that was like my lane. I didn't realize it was my lane until I was in the first semester of my senior year. And I realized that I had entered into college and engineering. I switched over to poli sci, went into communications. I did a little stint in marketing and business. And I'd just been kind of picking up classes along the way, following this vein of like what was interesting to me. And 
it turned out when I opened up an Excel spreadsheet my first semester, my senior year, and tried to figure out how on earth am I going to graduate on time in May, I realized that none of the majors that I'd started were going to cut it. And I wrote a bunch of formulas and I figured out that I could graduate in May with a sociology degree. Wow. <laughs> and so I said, fantastic. That's the major for me. Applied to the college, made the switch and got out on time, which was <laughs> my goal and my parents' goal. So I ended up graduating with a major in sociology, but I went to college not to get a degree. Oh, okay. I went to college for InterVarsity. Really? I'm probably one of only two people that's ever done this. So I was really involved in church and I like hearing the music and spending time. And then when the youth group piece of it started and the church like got a youth pastor, I was in every Wednesday night. That was the thing. So it just so happened that my mentor in high school and one of the youth group leaders, a guy named Chris, was actually the campus staff. And so he recruited my buddy Brian and I to like come out as high school students entering into college and like give people an invitation to come check out InterVarsity. I had no idea what InterVarsity was. <laughs> I just knew my buddy Chris was doing this thing on campus that was related to church stuff and it could be cool. So we got, I, I think there were like 100 or 150 kids the first night that we had our InterVarsity meeting. And we were just this recruiting engine and this train for kind of growing this chapter as freshmen coming in and just saw it as an opportunity to like continue the thing that we had done at our small local church and bring bigger energy to it on the campus. So it was a ton of fun. That's awesome. That has to be one of the most unique origin stories that I've heard thus far being brought over to help recruit for this group that you don't even know about. Tell me one or two of these other stories that really stand out to you that are quintessential. These are important moments from my InterVarsity career. I think for me, the thing that Chris did to start this chapter that was really important was he put a spin on it that actually made it attractive to have a culture of invitation to actually invite people into the story. He rebranded a Christian fellowship there were weekly events and gatherings where people would come together, but they weren't necessarily branded as us and them, right? You didn't have to be a Christian to show up. And one of the things that we did was to open the night up instead of having a worship music set and the awkward karaoke that accompanies it, we actually recruited active musicians who were students at the school and said, hey, we've got 50 to 100 people who show up to this thing every Wednesday night. Do you want to come open up and play some of your material for this crowd. And they're like, sure. And the whole thing of it was inviting them to do that. They brought their friends. We were open about like, hey, this is a Christian thing. We're going to hear about some of the teachings of Jesus, but not in a way that's like, hey, this is Sunday church, right? It was a little bit more of, hey, let's be to the campus what the campus needs, you know, as a, a way to draw and gather. The cool thing for me is that that first year, literally everyone I knew, every friend I knew on campus, anyone I ever came in touch with, the first or second thing out of my mouth was, you got to come on Wednesday. It is so amazing. Like <laughs> that was basically it. And we continue to have more and more people showing up to this thing. Steve, it sounds like you had some amazing experiences in this chapter, brought in in some very unique ways. Let's move forward. You're in this semester of figuring out how in the world you're going to graduate on time. In that time before you graduated, how did you imagine your life after college going? Did you have expectations about what was going to be the hard stuff and what was going to be the easy stuff? Did you have big dreams of where you were going to go and what you were going to do? Obviously, you're figuring out that final semester or so. But as you're looking beyond that, what was going through your mind? 
Yes, there are a few things. So in school, as summer internships, I worked for an incredible organization in Hartford, Connecticut called Hartford City Mission. They're in Hartford's West End, which is just a tough spot. Large majority of folks living below the poverty line, like totally disconnected from highway buses, a lot of inequality, a lot of racial injustice. And I was very much drawn to Hartford City Mission as a place to just do ministry. And that was kind of in the back of my mind as a potential option, you know, to move to Hartford to go work with this organization, maybe do a little bit of fundraising, take the burden off of the folks there for salary. So like that was an option. And the second one, I was very seriously going down the road to become an IV staff member. Those two things sort of walked hand in hand. And, you know, it was like one of those, like, I could still do that in the summer and then do IV in the school year. <laughs> that, that dream. But my senior year of college, things kind of blew up for me in a lot of rough ways. I think a lot of us are trying to figure out who we are and who we want to be. And boy, howdy, I blew up my life, my senior year of college. I flunked all my classes my second semester. My mom was getting divorced from my then stepdad and I got out of a long-term, very serious relationship at that time that ended in a way that was entirely my fault. So things blew up, hit a pause button, and that was pretty bad. I was sort of looking at, am I actually going to graduate now? The good news is <laughs> I had done enough credits and working classes that it didn't matter. I tanked my GPA, but the rest of it worked out. You know, I ended up graduating on time, but I think your question was around like getting into senior year, looking at the life ahead. What was I thinking of? Well, the things that I was thinking of no longer felt like options, right? I needed to hit pause. I needed to reevaluate. You know, the silver lining of it was it ended up actually being the right decision. For me, my trajectory had always been like, well, full-time ministry, full-time ministry, full-time ministry. It makes sense. It's what I'm good at. It's what I'm involved in. It's what I'm doing. And the second I had a chance to hit pause, evaluate and look at it. I was like, yeah, no, <laughs> I mean, it's great. It could be for me, but right now, absolutely not. I'm going to go do something else for a little bit. And it was amazing, right? I went and I got a job at Guitar Center, right? I was a musician. I was playing music. I banged down the door of Guitar Center to like get an interview with the store manager for three straight weeks. Hey, it's Tony and hey, it's Tony and hey, it's Tony. And eventually they gave me a job as a sales guy because they realized <laughs> I wasn't going to give up on the sale. That's awesome. And that ended up just being a, a wonderful time in my life of, you know, being able to write music, create, put a band together, get together with friends. It ended up freeing and opening me up to a different life that I didn't know was possible. And it's something I'm so thankful for. I can relate to that experience in a number of ways. I got a master's degree in clinical psychology and was expecting to go on to a PhD program and then got rejected from every PhD program that I applied to. And one didn't even hear back from, couldn't even take the time to reject me. <laughs> and I remember sitting down with one of my letter writers, who is also a Christian, which was really nice to have somebody like that, that I could talk to. And he's a good friend of mine today. Actually, we still spend time together pretty frequently and was just like, what am I supposed to do? I don't know where I'm supposed to go. And honestly, every one of those rejection letters that I got was like a weight off of my shoulders. And I remember him saying, did you ever think that maybe Maybe you're not supposed to go on to a PhD. Do you ever think that maybe there's another option? And what he didn't know was that in the background of my life, my staff worker was talking to me saying, you got to forget this psychology business and join staff <laughs> with InterVarsity. You could do this. Like this would be a great fit for you. And so it's sort of the opposite story, but the same story of, you know, I went into this time of graduation expecting, okay, I'm moving on to this kind of thing next. And then the bottom drops out from under me. And I'm like, well, why in the heck did I do anything? 
thing that I just did? What was the point? And then you end up moving into a space that is exactly what God was bringing you into or exactly what he made space for you as a result of the decisions that were made before. And uh, and it's just amazing to see the way that that happens, that our life can totally not meet up with the expectations that we had for it and be so much better than we would have expected. Oh my goodness. Yes. I have a habit of, I, I read a lot of books all at once and I finish them when they're done. But right now I'm reading three or I'm paying attention to three that I'm reading very particularly. I'm reading The Odyssey by Homer, which is incredible. So there's a woman, Emily Wilson, who created a new translation for it. And this thing is coming alive and it's vibrant and it's amazing for me in a way that classic literature like this never has been. It's wonderful. That's my first just to recommend it. The two books that I'm really reading in parallel, one's called 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman. That's the average human lifespan. That's if you live around 78 to 80 years old. So the thing that you brought up to me in terms of like your PhD rejection and my experience of taking those options off the table, the whole premise of this book is, hey, embrace the finite in your life, right? Embrace the fact that you've only got 4,000 weeks if you're lucky, right? Your life here now is limited, right? It's almost like YOLO for <laughs> normal people. When you take options off the table, it gives you a freedom to pursue the things that are bigger, more meaningful, more impactful, right? That could be for you and it could be for other people. The other book I'm reading is Stanley Tucci's book called Taste, which is incredible. He swears a lot in it. So depending on your tolerance for that, yeah, it makes sense that you drop an F-bomb and talk about carbonara <laughs> sauce. Yes. And who doesn't love Stanley Tucci? I mean, come on. Yeah. And if you're not saying preach when you're reading that book, <laughs> you're not living. But the juxtaposition of these books is around the meaningful experience of actually knowing that what you're pursuing and what you're involving yourself is the thing that's for you. You know it, right? As soon as you click into it, it's like, oh, this was it. But you had to say no to the other things. You had to say, oh, when the next session rolls around, like I'm not going to apply again. I had to say, you know, I hit this pause button thinking I might hit resume again. But when the next season rolled around, it was like, you know what? I'm going to leave the music thing. I'm not going to do the inner city community work. I'm going to go into healthcare recruiting. Like what? Because that's the next right move. I'm going to turn everything else down to go after this thing. I don't know. There's just some power in that, right? And recognizing, yeah, this life, it's kind of limited. Our choices are limited. The place that we were born is limited, right? There's so many limits, but it's beautiful because it actually opens us up to enjoy them more because we have this set of things we can actually say yes to and do. And so often we have this extreme FOMO of like, oh, I, I want to say yes to everything. I want to do everything, which then you end up just being crushed under the weight of too many expectations, trying to please too many people at the same time. And instead giving the right no's, which means you can give the right yeses, is incredibly freeing to just do a few things really well instead of trying to do a bunch of things really poorly. And it sounds like you've read the book. You're describing what's called the joy of missing oh, out. Oh, nice. Ah, <laughs> so that would, so what is that JOMO? Yeah. <laughs> right. So much better to say. But see, I'm not afraid of missing all these things. I'm enjoying the fact that I'm not doing them because what I am doing is for me. It was like it was handpicked. And sometimes that requires some really hard conversations. You know, I had my one letter writer that said, maybe you should do something else. And then I had my other letter writers that I was like, this is going to be a much harder conversation when I tell them that I'm not going to reapply. And you have to get your head screwed on straight and ready for some tough conversations. Some of those no's are hard to give, but man, it just frees you up to do 
great things. And sometimes we can just really shame ourselves for doing things that we enjoy. That's been a huge struggle that I've had as well of like, oh, following Jesus is hard. That means it's full of doing things that I don't enjoy. That's what a real follower of Jesus looks like. And then I started asking the question of, but didn't God create me this way on purpose? Aren't there things that I could love doing that also serve him and his kingdom, even if it doesn't seem quite as direct as some ways that allow me to live into my purpose and to follow him and building his kingdom. And that doesn't mean it'll always be easy and fun, but can't I have some fun in what I'm doing? Yeah. And it's like, you know, you could stop putting on the burlap sacks and eating the locusts and honey, (laughs) right? Because it's like, there's all this other food that's on offer, but why are you trying to make it hard? You don't need to intentionally do it, but the hard will come. Exactly. Okay. So then what was this process for you as you left college and then entered into this sort of self-exploration? Who am I? What am I supposed to do? What did that look like for you? In my early 20s, it was just like, I need to figure this out. I was like a pinball of grief and pain, got into another serious relationship after the one that I'd got out of, not immediately, but soon. And I kind of continued this pattern of latching onto another person and finding my identity through my relationship with that person. And in some ways that, that was a beautiful thing, right? Because it was very supportive of, of some of the healthy things that I needed to contribute to my life, like staying active in a church community at the time, being someone who was dependable and could be counted on to show up. And there was even a beautiful point in that relationship where my grandfather had passed away and this young woman also had experienced passing of her dad when she was younger and got grief. Like she understood it in a way that I didn't yet. I'm like, why is everyone telling me they're sorry my grandpa died? I was just so disconnected from that. And I think part of it's like a coping mechanism, right? To shield myself from the pain of my parents' divorce, to shield myself from the pain of my parents divorcing again, to shield myself from the pain of a relationship that didn't work out, to shield myself from the pain of a future that didn't work out like I had intended. I basically just collapsed all this stuff behind this emotional barricade, but not realizing like I'm carrying around this huge burden of grief. And it was a beautiful gift that she gave me to be there for me in that. So with all that, I'm carrying around this bundle of sadness. That relationship came to a close. I, again, was devastated. We got back together at some point, broke up again. Devastated again. Yes, as we tend to do. In all that pain, right, I just start bouncing around. Drinking a bit, I start finding myself in relationships with other women. I'm trying desperately to like numb that pain, just completely shut off, right? Not knowing, dude, this is grief. You're experiencing grief, pain, heartache. Ah, And was just trying to stay busy enough. So in all that, I'm leading this sort of double life, right? I'm showing up to church. I'm doing the good church planner thing. I'm actively involved. And also like on the side, I'm deeply in pain and just careening. And I'm also at this point, I'm working probably 70, 80 hours a week at a job because it's finally starting to click and things are finally starting to happen. And then once they do, I received an award for my company. It was a yearly pinnacle achievement award. I'm the youngest person in the company who would ever get this. Like I'd worked my butt off. I earned it. But I was so surprised that I got this. So my boss at the time congratulates me, gives me a raise, offers me a position on his team. It was this culmination of all the things that I wanted, all the things that I hoped for. And I got everything. I even had a physical trophy, one of those corporate crystal things. Even cooler than a Dundee. Yeah, I basically got an amazing Dundee. (laughs) And all I can think about is I got everything that I wanted, everything I was striving for. It was like, this is it. Guess what I felt? Deeply sad. A few nights later, maybe a couple weeks later, 
I'm driving out to Putnam, Connecticut, and a song comes on, and it's by an artist called Sleeping at Last. He wrote a song called Saturn. This is beautiful orchestral arrangements, and I love this album, but I never internalized the words before. It's about someone who's passing or past who imparted some wisdom to the writer. I'll just read it because it makes sense. It says, you taught me the courage of stars before you left, how light carries on endlessly, even after death. With shortness of breath, you explained the infinite how rare and beautiful it is to even exist. I couldn't help but ask for you to say it all again. I tried to write it down, but I could never find a pen. I'd give anything to hear you say it one more time. And this is the kicker. This is the thing that got me. That the universe was made just to be seen by my eyes. How rare and beautiful it is to even exist. That the universe was made to be seen by my eyes. I heard that song and I instantly just melted down. I had to pull the car over. I was hyperventilating. It was almost like God came into the car and said those words face to face. It's not about what you strive for or who you are or who you want to be. It's not about your image. Life is enough to just be here. You are loved because you're here. Open up your eyes. Recognize that. It's a gift. It's all a gift. And that was the point for me when things just started to shift. I came home. The first thing I did was I shaved my head. Okay. Just <laughs> just all off. And I had work the next day. I didn't have a good razor either. It was one of those electric beard trimmers. The reason why I did that and part of that strange thought process was I put so much into the way that I present myself to others and the face that I put on in spite of all this stuff. Let's just get rid of one of these pieces that I use as a crutch for my identity. So hair was the first thing I could think of. I could change that I have control over. And I, you know, I went full on monk until it kind of grew back, <laughs> yeah. right? Wow. <laughs> so you pick this one item that sort of represents this idea of releasing control over your identity, people's perceptions of you. You remove it because you actually have the control to do that. Where did that take you? What was the, what were the next steps in that journey of your development and discovery that happened as a result of that? It's sort of funny, right? There's always these big moments you can point to, but I think the shifts after that are pretty subtle. So one of the things that I did was I wrote down a list of things that I wanted to continue to dedicate time to ongoing. One of them is orienting my life by priorities, things that are important to me. So part of it's like, yeah, dude, maybe cut down the drinking a little bit. Again, I don't want to paint the picture. Like I was not out every night, just completely out of it, but it was like, you don't really need that. You're a better person when you are more sober. Another one was keeping my room clean, eating a good breakfast, just like basic physical things. But the physical piece of our reality feeds into the spiritual as much as the spiritual feeds into the physical, right? So I put together that list and a few of those things that are on that list were people oriented. And the one that is really resonant with me is pursue deep and lasting friendships. There was no one that I went to high school with that I'm friends with now. There's no one I went to college with that I'm friends with now. That wasn't on purpose. It's all been environmental. It's like, this is the thing that I'm doing now. This is the people that are around doing it with me. These are the people who are in my life. And as my life changes and that shifts, these people are no longer in it. But just because it wasn't intentional to shift in that way, it kind of was intentional that I never tried to keep certain people in my life. I started to see that there were people in my life at this moment that I wanted to be friends with for a very long time. And that if I continued the same pattern I had, I was going to not have friendships that would last more than a few years. So that was one of the investments that I made and literally was an investment. So the way that it worked is I called it friends, family dinner. 
it was 12 people. I hand selected them and we got together once a month and I said, hey, here's a hundred bucks. I think it eventually turned into like 150 because I realized a hundred dollars isn't necessarily enough to feed 12 people. A really good dinner. Something other than Hot Pockets and <laughs> Kool-Aid. Yeah, Patino's Pizza Thrills, <laughs> yeah. Mountain Dew. And... So I basically said, hey, I'll pay for the thing. Host the group at your place, eat together, do a daily office where we ask two questions. Where did you see God today? Where did you miss God today? After doing an evening prayer together, the great thing about it was we're all at the table doing this prayer together, going around asking, where did you see God? Where did you miss God? Right. An opportunity to look back and reflect on our day. And the rule was when it's someone's turn, it's just them talking. There's no feedback. There's no, mm-hmm, mm, no nodding. You look at them, you make eye contact, you listen. And that's the gift you're going to give them, the gift of your presence in the room with them. And we did it for a couple of years until some folks got married, some folks moved away. But that group of people for me was deeply transformative in who I continued to become as a result of that. Seeing people truly be vulnerable, right? Be honest with one another, embrace the fact that, yes, this is awkward. Everyone's looking at me while I'm talking. I haven't experienced much of that until I've been on this podcast, right? It just doesn't happen in day-to-day life. If you want to find something where you can introduce people to the character of Jesus, give them 15 minutes of listening to them, asking them the question, where did you see God and where did you miss God? It was beautifully transformative for me and I know for others involved, you know, some with just deeply broken faith backgrounds, so antagonistic against God, against the church. Like, oh, do I have to say, where did I see God? Can I say something else? And it's like, of course you can say something else. Like, what, what would you prefer? And guess what happened as a result of that? Just creating that open environment where they could use any word. They said, here's where I saw God. Here's where I missed God. They used it anyway because they had the freedom not to. They found God in that moment because they didn't have to, right? It wasn't the requirement. It was open and God met them there. That's really amazing because I hear you talking about this story and it takes me back to the story that you were telling before about your experience with InterVarsity and the atmosphere that was set up there of this is an open space for you to experience these things that we do believe and that we do cherish, but that we're not going to force you into this specific space to think the specific way and talk a specific way. We're going to give you the freedom to not and the way that that freedom engages people and helps them feel open to to saying, oh, sure. I wasn't sure coming into this, but I'll engage. It's cool to see some of those themes throughout your faith journey and your interaction with other people. Thank you. Yeah. It's neat to also kind of see that through your eyes too. I don't often get the experience of like, oh, zoom out. Now that you've had the time that you've had post-college and you've been having all of these experiences, is there something that you wish that you knew then that you know now that you would go back and say, This will help you as you move forward in life. Is there advice that you would give to yourself? It's an interesting one. Kind of knew this was coming. (laughs) (laughs) So the the challenging thing about me is if future me came back to pass me and said, hey, you idiot, screw it up. (laughs) If you'd only focus on X instead of Y, past me would have been like, what do you know? So there's part of me, right, that says I wouldn't change a thing. You know, the reality of it, it's like every little decision, everything that I did led to now. I'm 
super happy with the now that I've got. And going back and telling myself something, you know, the idiot who wouldn't listen to me anyway, I kind of be worried I screw up that timeline. You've seen the Marvel movies, you know. Oh, you totally. Know you got to be careful when you play with time for That's sure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Steve, thank you so much. This has been. Oh my goodness. This has been such an enjoyable conversation. I have loved getting to hear your story. I'm just really grateful for this time that we've gotten to spend together. Thanks so much for for investing. Well, well, thank you. And thanks for the invite to come do this. It's not often you get an invitation out the blue to say, hey, you want to be on a podcast with InterVarsity? <laughs> of all the publications of all the world, it's pretty fun. And we made it through the whole podcast without me calling you Michael. So hey, <laughs> I call that I, a I'll win. I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Steve. Hey, thank you so much. Okay. I think that's the first time we've ever had a guest say they didn't really have anything they'd go back and tell themselves to better prepare for life after college. But even that is great advice to walk away with. Don't forget about the importance of the journey that you're on. Even in the misfires that occur during your time post-college, there is an important, messy, beautiful, unique journey that you're on, and God is using all of it to continue to transform you. As we look back on the journey up to this point, are there things that we wish had gone better? Yeah, definitely. Did we make mistakes that had real-life consequences? Of course. Did things happen around us or even to us that were totally out of our control and had a major impact on our lives? Yes. And more of all of those things will happen. But the great news is that we don't have to lose hope. We don't just throw up our hands and say, well, I blew my shot at getting this right. I wonder what my life could have been like if I'd done this better. No. We can trust that God is taking all of that and using it to develop us as his children and as people who play a role in changing the world with him. Steve, thanks so much for encouraging us to embrace our story thus far and to see it as part of the much larger narrative that God is using to redeem us and the world around us. Hey, thanks for joining me for another episode. Come on back next week for a first ever experience on the podcast, a guest coming back to share more with us. Next week, Jason Gabery will be returning to help us prepare for the transition from Lent to Holy Week. We're going to look at some of the important days in Holy Week and what they represent and consider useful disciplines for the season of Easter. Basically, if you enjoyed the Lent episode, you're in for more of a similar format. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform and turn on notifications for when these new episodes drop. You don't want to miss them. All right, that's it for now. Until next week, I'll see you in the after, alumni. <laughs>